The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I just came across the property laws of a toddler. Now, I don't know if this is state by state. It would seem to be universal. Property laws of a toddler, if I like it. It's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken... It's yours. Having had 10 toddlers, I think it universally holds. Thank you for joining me. Dr. Ray Garetti, the program The Doctor is in, the variant of the program is Look Back Friday. Came up with this idea, Andrew Kruchek informs me, was six or seven years ago. Were I to venture a guess, I would have said three. But, as my cousin always said, whenever you think something happened in the past... And you put a time frame on it, double it. So very, very true. So this Look Back Friday has a certain template to it. There are certain calls that lend themselves more so. All all calls will lend themselves to extrapolation uh, details. Of course, these are situations in life. But there are certain calls that particularly bring up something that could be explored, something that could be explained, something where it was confusing. I couldn't go in that direction because we were aiming at what the caller wished in their question. So that call was set aside and it was edited. You know, I do a little bit of badinage, persiflage in the beginning of the call. Andrew usually takes that out of there, which hurts my feelings, but he does it anyway because he controls everything. I really don't control much other than what comes out of my mouth. And even at that, he can edit that. So we get to the calls shortly here. Personal apology percentage. It's a term I came up with in... uh, couple of my books, one in a marriage book and one in Thinking Like Jesus. As far as I know, there's no reference to personal apology percentage other than something I coined. What is it? 
It is the percentage that one judges himself to be wrong before he musters an apology. What percentage do I see myself as at fault in a dispute or in an interchange or in, in some circumstance before I'll say I'm sorry? Standard percentage is at least 50% or more. If I see myself as equally wrong or more than equally wrong, then then I'm more likely to apologize. Now, this is assuming people do apologize. We'll get, we'll get to that in another manologue. I think a Christian should have a personal apology percentage that is anywhere down to zero. Let me explain. Suppose you're in an argument with someone. You're trying to keep your cool. Uh, the person is jabbing and perhaps name-calling and insulting, and you're, you're doing everything you can to be reasonable. And this has gone on for 11 minutes. Finally, you break. You break. You fire back some colorful words. Maybe an insult or two intertwined within your colorful words. Suppose, too, that a hundred objective observers were watching this interchange. And they were to give a rating. How much each of you shared in the dispute. Turns out that they viewed the other person as 74% blameworthy. You at 26. Do you say to yourself, well, I was provoked. Well, how much was I supposed to be able to take? Well, they started it. They instigated it. They kept fueling it. So I responded. And I think most people would have responded like I did or worse long before. Wouldn't have been 11 minutes before they became angry. Does their 74% blameworthiness invalidate your 26%? In other words, you don't have to apologize for losing your temper or for cursing. You don't have to. Why? Well, you're justified, right? What if it was 12%? That's even less. Now, I would suspect that if you were asked to rate your own percentage, independent of the 100 observers, you would judge your percentage as lower than they did. They're objective about you. You're not objective about you. We're subjective about ourselves. That's a natural human inclination. I'm not very good at being objective about me. I am, by definition, subjective about me, which means that I am less likely to see myself at fault 
in any given situation. But assuming that I can accurately rate my percentage of fault, and it's 26%, do I apologize for the 26%? Now, the risk is, and this is what stops a lot of people for apologizing for their percentage, the other person will take that as an indication that you were all wrong and they were all right. They can do that, you know. They, they're going to be self-defensive too. What you're saying is not what they're hearing. You're apologizing for your part. That's all you're doing. You're not apologizing for the whole interchange. You're apologizing for what you did, which was to curse and yell. I'm sorry for that. I, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have used those words, and I, I got a little carried away. Will they apologize back? I don't know. I don't know. See, keeping in mind that if they instigated and provoked, there's probably a likelihood that they don't see anything wrong with what they did. They were justified in doing that. Personal apology percentage takes humility. It really does. It truly does, because there's always the fear that when I apologize for my percentage, however small it might be, it could be 8%, the other person will feel justified. They will take pride in the fact that you are recognizing you were wrong and how you were wrong. There is an upside to this, though. There are a certain percentage of folks that when you apologize for what you see as your role, they are more likely to say, yeah, yeah, me too. I I shouldn't have talked like that either. From some folks, you could get a me too apology. You could, especially spouses. You tell your spouse, I shouldn't have nagged you like that. I I just badgered you, and I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Well, yeah, I know. I shouldn't have got so mad as I did either. You You almost make it safe for a return apology. If I'm going to admit that I'm wrong up to a certain level, then it's safe for you to admit that you're wrong because I'm not looking to place 100% blame. So, what is your personal apology percentage? With humility, it goes down below one, below 50%, maybe 25, maybe 20. Extreme humility, 10. But keep in mind this. That may not be the actual percentage. That may be your perceived percentage, which is colored by your self-interest. Dr. Ray. If you've never been to EWTN's free family celebration, this is your year. Your EWTN family is waiting for you where it all began in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us Saturday, August 26th as we celebrate Mother Angelica's love for the Eucharist and mark the centennial year of Mother's birth. For more information on this free event, visit EWTN.com slash family celebration. We want to see you there. 
Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling, 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plans, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. Tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Dr. Ray Grandy, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Patty was in New York. He was patiently waiting and watching the traffic cop on a busy street crossing. Cop stopped the flow of traffic and shouted, okay, pedestrians. Then he allowed the traffic to pass. Now, he'd done this several times, and Patty was still standing on the other side of the road on the sidewalk. After the cop had shouted, pedestrians, for the 10th time. Patty went over to him and said, Isn't it about time you let the Catholics cross? Dr. Ray Garendi here. Program Doctor is in. Variant of the program. Look back Friday. Mary calling from Pennsylvania. Hold on a second. Let me find out some little tidbit about Pennsylvania here. Uh, Well, isn't that interesting? You know the little smiley face where you have the um, colon followed by the convex parentheses? was first used in 1980 by computer scientists at Carnegie Mellon, which is in Pennsylvania. little tidbit about Pennsylvania, huh? All right, let's talk to Mary, find out exactly why these kids of hers having trouble with her. My son and daughter-in-law, they're in their um, late 20s. They have a little grandson, my grandson, and he's two and a half. He'll be three in a few months. And um, they don't go to church anymore or anything like that. And uh, they told, I was out there recently. I stayed with them, which was a mistake because they thought that I was, um, I, I don't know. We ha- we didn't have the same views on parenting skills. And you like, opened your mouth. Yeah, they, they let them stay up to all hours. and Bad move, and Mary. Like you, you opened know, your mouth. Like but, I, but normally I get along really well with them because I know that if I don't, 
I'll never see the grandson, especially, you know, I want to make sure I get along with my daughter-in-law. And she's, she's a very nice person, but she's very controlling of my son. But that's beside the point. Anyway, I told them when I came back to Pennsylvania, I said, no, even when I was out there, I was out there a couple of weeks ago. I said, I'd really like to attend uh, my grandson's birthday. I want to be there for his birthday. And they wouldn't let me go last year because they said, well, the other grandparents are coming and we're not having a party and you're coming in June anyway. His birthday's in May. And so we don't want you to come, even though I had just I've been out there in March to take care of them for three weeks. But they don't want me to come. Uh, the other grandparents will tell them when they're coming. They give him everything. They mail him presents left and right. He has nothing. He wants for nothing. I don't know what to get them. Um, it, it's like they give them money. So I feel like they're dependent on them, beholden, you know, because of the money thing. Anyway, so I said it's not fair to me if I can't come. God brought it up again last week or two weeks ago when I was out there. I said I want to come to his third birthday in May. And um, my daughter-in-law said, well, my mother's and father are already coming. They already said they were coming. Like I had already put in my reservation. Mary, translation. We don't want you here. In between the lines, you indicated that you just didn't keep your opinion to yourself. You said things about their parenting. You said things about uh, guiding their lives, whatever it was. And, and you were meaning to be helpful. You weren't being critical. You're trying to help. But you underestimated how your daughter-in-law is going to take it. Your son would probably roll with it, but she won't let him. Mm -hmm. Her attitude is, I don't want that woman telling me how to raise kids and how to live my life, especially with her nutcake religious ideas. Okay. Now, that's the, you know why that's the good news? Because you can change that. You can change that. You can recognize that if you're allowed to have some contact again, you are not zero zip nada going to say anything about anything in the way they run their lives. You're not going to say, um, well, do you have a place for these dishes? Do you have a place for these? Because, you know, lots of times when we put them on the lower cupboards because it's easier to reach them there. Now, you think that's benign. And she hears right. it as, you're a terrible housekeeper. You're a terrible housekeeper. Now, so that's the one thing you really got to know, Mary. Now, here's the bad news. She doesn't like you because of your religion and political beliefs. She knows what they are, and even if you don't say them, she thinks, I know how you think. I don't like how you think. You're not allowed to think how you think. So, therefore, the less you're in our lives, the better. Does that sound like it touches upon what's going on? The religion thing is right on, but the political thing, she's on the same political, she's Republican. So, they so agree with us politically, but... It's predominantly the religion, then, because they don't have any. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So well, here's she's your... into witchcraft, so... Oh, jeez. Oh, man! But they did. 
they just happened want, to, they want just happened to Mary just happened to throw that out there. Oh, by the way, my daughter-in-law's into witchcraft. <laughs> but they let me take him to mass for the first time, and I was out there a couple weeks ago because they said they wanted him to make up his own mind and decide. He's never even been baptized, so I had the deacon and the priest both um, bless him because that's all I could do. Did you ask to take him to mass, or did they say would you take him to mass? They said it's okay if you take him to mass. Okay, they good. volunteer. That's good. Because you can really only do what they allow you to do. Here's your point. Here's where you're at, Mary. At this point, you're going to have to accept that they're keeping you at arm's distance. Okay. That's a given. Because you've you didn't help your in the past. You didn't help yourself by opening your mouth too much. Now that's not the only thing that did it. By the way, the fact that your daughter-in-law has her own way of living and you have this religious way of living right away, quick, puts you at a distance right now. It's okay. happening all over the place. Your son, who I think you're thinking, what is wrong with him? I'm his mother. You'd think he'd stand up to her and say, no, my mom's going to get equal time as your mom. Well, Mary, I've seen this happen so often where these sons cave in to their wives' unfair treatment of their mother. I see it all the time. All the time. He probably knows she's being unfair. However... He doesn't want to stand up to her because he has to live with her, and right. it, could get, it could be real ugly. So here's what you do. If you get a chance, you go to her, and you apologize, and you say, you know, I'm so sorry. I have given my opinion way too many times when it is not asked for, and I'm sorry about that. From now on, I will not do that. You are the mom. You are the wife. It is your life. Do that. And you tell her, you say, I promise I won't do that anymore. Now, she won't trust you. She'll think, yeah, okay, that's nice, but you will. That's okay. As she lets you creep back into her life, you'll show her you're not going to do that. I would say that practicing witchcraft is uh, quite a distance from the Catholic faith. And one would wonder how often does that distance come up? in conversations, in things that are said offhandedly, in views of life, views of childrearing. I, I, I would have to think it would. Um, at this point, it would seem that Mary's main goal is to have a civil relationship, a pleasant relationship with her son and daughter-in-law. And the only way she's going to do that is she's it's not the kind of relationship where she has a, f- a freedom to express herself. I know that's sad, but there's a cumulative effect that occurs. Example. Somebody will call or somebody will tell me in therapy that just recently they were told, uh, stay away by a young adult or a married child with a kid and they will say this is what I said or this is what I did I don't think that was that serious to provoke a complete severing of the relationship and I'll say well it doesn't doesn't sound like it was but were there other incidents or other 
pieces of friction. Oh yes. Oh oh. For the last nine years, we've whoo, we've walked on eggs. We've said things we shouldn't say. So what happens was there was a cumulative effect, and finally it hit the breaking point. It wasn't so much that it was that one remark. It wasn't so much that it was stepping into turf that the young parent didn't want grandma or grandpa to step into. It was the end product of a string of such things. That was that was the difference. And I think that's what that that's what Mary was dealing with here. Even though she said that her daughter is fairly accepting and pleasant, but then she pointed out some things that could be delicate to navigate. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The virtue of purity and holy chastity is certainly a very important thing, but I think we can misunderstand this beatitude. As human beings in our fallen state, we tend to love things and use people, but we're meant to use things and love people. We can manipulate in relationships and we can try to control other people and we can focus on other people as objects. But to be pure in heart is to be in love, and ultimately to be pure in heart and to be happy is to be in love with God himself as well. This beatitude calls us to have a focus on being open to choosing God, choosing life, to choose love. If God is not the ultimate end of our desires and our hopes and dreams, we will be the saddest of people. Let's say yes to God and choose his way, be focused on his love and pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge by acquaintance is what St. Paul's talking here. We need to increase our acquaintance of God. What can we do to increase our knowledge of God? Well, study Scripture, pray, fast. But here's the obvious question. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Or are you simply kind of staying stable? You're living off past encounters. When we speak of increasing our knowledge of God, as I said, you can read all the books you want about God and you'll have lots of information. But it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily become acquainted with him. We need to know God by acquaintance. And that's what lies at the heart of all true religion. Cresta in the Afternoon. Weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining me here on the doctor is in i definitely appreciate the company putting the common back in front of sense so this is look back friday the reason i selected this call not so much because of the question or the circumstances that the caller raised the 
youngest person we've ever had in the audience on the TV show Living Right with Dr. Ray was, I believe, two months, two-month-old baby. The oldest person we ever had, I think, was 97. Quite a range. Well, Mary, Mary Margaret has eclipsed that. Mary Margaret called. She's 101 years old. As I recall the call, I don't think she had anything in particular that she wanted to ask or share. But there is something I want to share after we talk briefly to Mary Margaret. Mary Margaret, is it your birthday and are you 101? That's you just, exactly right, sir. On the 11th. You also have Whitney here. Sorry, not to confuse you. Yep, Whitney's here with me. She's my dearest helpmate and friend. First of all, Mary Margaret, your voice sounds very sturdy. You sound youthful. That's one. Did you, you hear are... him, Mary Margaret? No, I can't hear him. Can you go a little louder, Dr. Hay, please? Sorry. Sure. Mary Margaret, can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. All right. Your voice sounds very sturdy, and you are the oldest person ever to call this program, other than Teresa Tamio. She she called once. Oh, really? Um, yes. And God bless you. I would love Thank to just you. sit sit in your parlor, because you have to say parlor really? now, because, you know, back when you were a little girl, it was called a parlor. That's right. That's right. Okay. And just ask you a boatload of questions about the 20th I would, century. I would, I would love to talk with you and answer the questions as best as I could. You were 17 years old when World War II began for the United States. Right. And what you must have lived and sacrificed during that time with the rationing. Quite a bit, sir. With Quite many of bit. the young boys that you knew going off to either theater, Pacific or European. Oh, yeah. Wow. We had a family of boys. Some of them never came back, of course. You mean your brothers? No, not my brothers. But my grandmother lived with us. Those were her boys. Fourteen of them. Yep. And some of them never came back. It sounds like you're a busy person, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, Mary Margaret. What is, in your life, please tell me, what is one of the most important things you have learned in a century of existence? You know what? I, I think it was that... I had good parents, and I was brought up strictly, but thank God, wonderfully well. And you are still in the faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, She's got the, that rosary every minute. Every minute. It's never, I'm never without the rosary. Do you pray the rosary pretty much every day? Yes. All right. When did you start? How old were you when you started? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. But my aunt was a Dominican nun. In fact, the Dominican order was named after her, Sister Mary Dominicus. All right, let's just, let's just say, Mary Margaret, 
Happy birthday, 101. But let's do a little mathematics here. Thank you. Let's do a little mathematics. Let's just say that you began to pray the rosary as a 20-year-old girl. All right? All right. And I'm going to assume that you prayed five decades. Not 15, but five. Okay? That's right. Five. Okay. That's right. I'm just going to give you uh, an estimate of the amount of prayers that you have said in your lifetime to the Blessed Virgin. Hold on. 50 Hail Marys per day times 365 days in one year times 81 years. You have said, are you ready? Yes. You ain't going to believe this. According to this, you have said almost one and a half million Hail Marys. Oh, my goodness. Thank God for that. I'm happy to know this. Man, I'll tell you what. All those days in purgatory, you can start spreading them around all over the place. you got way more than you need. <laughs> I'll pray for you because you seem to be a very nice gentleman. The woman has insight, that's for sure. You can't argue with somebody that's a century old. when she makes an observation like that. Two things. One, in our culture, the general view of someone like Mary Margaret is that she's lived her life. She really doesn't have anything to offer, for the most part. For most of human history, she would have, because the older folks were the ones who lived, and they were viewed as having wisdom. But not now. She's past her time, and uh, our culture belongs to the youth and the vigorous and the competent, and Mary Margaret is just a very quiet, living person. But the irony to all that is that woman has never left, at least as far as we can tell, her relationship with God. So she has it all. And the culture, in its stunted if you want to call it wisdom, I call it perception, would look at somebody like Mary Margaret and say, ah, oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, she's lived her life. It's good. That's good. Come on. Come on. Quit taking up space. Come on. But yet, in God's eyes, in eternity, she has it all. She has so much more than what perhaps the vast majority of people who would look at her and not see her faithfulness. Or, or they might see it but not value it. They might see her as just someone who's, come on, you lived your life, check out, would you? Taking up, uh, sucking up uh, resources. But that is not how God would view someone as long-standingly faithful is Mary Margaret. I know not to ask any questions. Don't worry. I understand.
Do early risers have greater faith? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. The answer is yes, and these early morning faith-filled souls also say they are more conscientious and satisfied in life, according to a recent study. You may have heard or seen the expression written that nothing good ever happens after midnight. Apparently, a lot of good happens near dawn. Researchers aren't sure which trait leads to the next or if this is just a big circle of life. Either way, the early birds appear to be more content. The study points out that a routine that includes rising early, attending morning mass, special morning services like those of Easter, may also strengthen the morning risers' wake-up muscles. This can lead to more satisfaction in life, too. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wrote that one. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. On this show and on this network and uh, in many of our other outlets that we have through Ave Maria Radio and EWTM, we're always going to keep you up to date on what's happening in terms of the culture and how toxic the culture is. Certainly, we talk about that uh, every week. So you can navigate the media landscape, so you can learn about the challenges and be well aware of them. That's one thing. We talk about religious liberty issues. We talk about the attacks, of course, on, on the pro-life causes. We need to be aware of all that, which is why we talk about it. So we give you the tools, we give you the information, the research that we come up with as writers, as producers, as presenters, as talk show hosts, on and on and on. But at the end of the day, what do we need to do when we know this? We should be speaking out even more loudly and on a regular basis. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. I don't know, I always just picture one of these private eye guys leaping into their car. You know, they always got this incredible convertible car, small, fast. So they're running, they have to be somewhere, and they're running and they jump. But they get up around 50, 55, and they might have to have a stunt guy doing the jump. This is Look Back Friday. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. The program, The Doctor, is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production of EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And Ave Maria Radio Communications. My producer man, Andrew Kruchek, who's involved in editing these calls, is there in Ann Arbor. Uh, what else? Uh, TV show, Living Right with Dr. Ray, season number 12. Brand new, fresh episodes on the EW10 Global Catholic Television Network. Uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, and on Saturdays at 9.30 Eastern Time on Tuesdays. So I have a lot of fun with the TV show. Uh, I, I really want to comment more upon Mary Margaret's 101 years. That means she was born in 1922. In 1922, let's just take the perspective of America. First of all, our population was most likely a third, if that, of what it is now. Many homes did not have electricity. Perhaps the majority didn't have electricity. Didn't have indoor plumbing. Went to the bathroom outside. 
the crime rate was un un unbelievably low. Oh, Dr. Ray, come on. They didn't have the records that they have now. Even with that, I remember my grandparents telling me we never, ever locked our doors. Ever. We left the keys in the car all the time. And that was common practice. And they were talking about the 1930s. It was a very, very different time. What we have gained in life expectancy and health through medicine has been exponential, but we've lost so much in terms of personal safety. Women easily could walk the streets at any time of day. There, are, yeah, there were those neighborhoods, maybe, but they were fewer and farther between than now, that's for sure. People were much poorer, much, much poorer, but yet they didn't have social poverty. They didn't break the law. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, come on, I'm not saying, oh, it was a nirvana, it was a heaven time. No, it had its own problems. But by and large, the divorce rate was under 5%. Living together was pretty much unheard of, and if it was done, it had, uh, it had social retribution. You just didn't do this. If you got pregnant out of wedlock, you either quietly went and gave birth to the baby, placed it with relatives, perhaps, in rare cases, maybe raised it yourself. But the out-of-wedlock birth rate was very, very small. The black family was very solid, very solid. Two-parent homes, heavily the black family. Of course, right now, the black out-of-wedlock birth rate is 70-plus percent, but it wasn't then wasn't then at all which is which is interesting too because at that time there was much more overt racism in the culture than one could claim now and i'm always fascinated by the lifestyles by how they lived then my grandparents Let's see. So would they be yeah, yeah, they would they would be older than Mary Margaret. My grandparents would be older than Mary. But, but my parents would be relatively in that age group. My dad was born in 1927, so 5 years younger than Mary Margaret. And he talked about growing up. He for example gave his whole paycheck when he started work as a late teenager to his mother. So you did. Gave your money to the family. Can you imagine a kid doing that now? Anybody listening to this have a child who works and takes that paycheck, let's say even half of it, and gives it to you? It says here, for the family. Now, I know. I'd, I'd be shocked if there's one. My dad just did it. That was expected. So he did it. They lived in a neighborhood, all front porches. They had, my, my grandparents didn't drive. My dad drove, but they had one car. Wasn't fancy. Telephone? Well, yeah, they had a telephone sort of on, on the counter there. And you, you could dial rotary-wise and maybe get somebody but he never made long distance calls way way too expensive 
Very, very different, simpler life. Many people had gardens. Eating out was almost unheard of. That was something only rich people did. Not now. Now, not only do you eat out, but you have them deliver it to you. Even though it costs 20 bucks for two sandwiches. Hey, come on. I'm always fascinated by how they lived. And I think that how they lived was an essential ingredient in the people they were. By and large, they were unspoiled people. They struggled to get what they had. It wasn't handed to them. They were sturdier. Much less depression, anxiety, struggles. Oh, come on, Dr. Ray. Don't don't minimize the alcoholism that was involved. Yes, I know. I'm not, I'm not totally naive about that. But by and large... The social pathologies were not present. Drugs drugs were something that were just done in a very small corner of the entertainment music industry. As opposed to now where fentanyl, drug overdoses, is the number one killer of 18 to 49-year-olds. Very different time. That's why I said I really wanted to talk to Mary Margaret. I just wanted to see what it was like growing up as a teenage girl, then, and I'll bet you they didn't lock their doors. And if they had a car, I'll bet you they didn't worry about leaving their keys in it. Oh, we took it. All right. We'll look one more when we come back. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Our generation is the first in human history to widely reject that life has any overarching purpose. Morality is considered relative, and we're even uncertain about what it means to be a man or a woman. Catholics at this time need to be awake, not woke. Sit down with Renewal Ministries' Peter Herbeck and I for an extended conversation with Noel Maring, author of Awake, Not Woke. It's available on the Renewal Ministries' YouTube page or in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 398 9399. That's 844 398 9399. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Do we have one more time, Andrew? Um, 
I got to get to it quick. All right, we have Julie from Texas who is really bothered by a coworker. I've known my coworker. I've only worked there for two years, but I've known her for like 20. I dated her brother in my early 20s. Okay, we're both in our 40s. I've worked there two years. I am a happy-go-lucky, butterflies, rainbows kind of girl. I'm also a realist, so I have my days. She is a life-sucking <laughs> negative nilly, you know? Just every day there's something wrong. Even if the sun is shining, it's cloudy in her world. She's the type that carries her traumas and her dramas with her every day. She's just a victim. So, Why does that bug you? I, well, it bothers me when it comes on to me. I understand that people, you know, whatever you project is more about you than it is about me. But like yesterday morning, for instance, she said, did you do this and that? And I said, yes, I did. And she said, no, you didn't. I didn't find it. And I said, well, why don't you just start with that then? You know, instead of she likes to point people out for their downfalls and their mistakes. Because well, but she, she can't she can't get you fired. She can't do anything about it. She no. can just accuse. Well, she is above me. But so technically, yes. But it wasn't a wrongful doing like that not to be fired. It's just I've been there two years and I've kept my mouth shut. And it's kind of getting to the point where it's like, I really kind of think maybe she needs to know how negative okay. she is. Let me write. The I don't script. want it to be a hostile I don't want I'll it to be a hostile the, work environment. I, Julie, you know? will yeah. write the script for you. Are you ready? Yes. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, here you go. This is you now. This is what you will say. You will okay. say, um, co-worker, um, I, I've been around you a long time, and, and I find that, that sometimes that your negative attitude really, really uh, brings me down. And I think that uh, you would do well looking at yourself, especially someone in a supervisory position like you. Now, here's what she would say. Why, thank you, Julie. You know, I had never looked at it that way. I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed that out to me. It makes me feel close to you, and it helps me now at my age to really scrutinize my well-being. Did, did I get that script right? Half of it. Oh, aha. Uh -huh. The first half. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. right. You said, your question is, do I ignore her? Yeah, pretty much. Because you're okay. not going to. Okay. You said something interesting at the very top of your call. Uh -huh. You said, "I've known her for 20 years." Now, are you telling me that she's only been this way the last two? I'm saying we haven't hung out in yeah. about 20. Okay, and and so and, and and was one of the early reasons you didn't hang out because she was so negative. I dated her brother, so it wasn't. It was like. You know, let's go kayaking, let's go camping, let's hang out, but I'm with your brother. So, so I don't remember it being that way, so I want to say well, no. You got closer contact with her now. Yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just you, keep to answer doing your what question, I'm doing. Yeah, so for somebody to upset you, you got to let them. Yeah. They do. Yeah, they can, they can't but upset you if you don't let them. If she's a negative Nelly, you, you kind of feel bad for her. Because she's got to live with herself. You can at least escape her. Go she home. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she could never escape herself. Can you imagine what it's like to That's, live like that? No, I can't. And you're absolutely right. And I try. Christianly, I, I really try to see it that way. That's what I've been biting my tongue about for two years now. It's like you have to know how draining okay. you are. You, well, you've got to well, know. No, she so. knows. Come on. You're not, yeah. the first, yeah, yeah. you're not the first one she's rubbed that way. But here's right, the other thing. Right, right. You said something interesting, Julie. You said, I've been biting my tongue 
In other words, she still gets to you. You wouldn't ha- once you, a week. You wouldn't have to bite your tongue if she didn't get to you. Well, because I'm an open and honest person, Dr. Ray. I'm not one to hold my tongue at all. Yeah, well, you better decide whom you're going to be open and honest with if you don't want to get punched. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, you got a point. Okay, okay. Yeah. I see. And that's not, you know, that's not open and honest. That's just basically saying, let me tell you what's wrong with you as I see it. And I think my my rough estimate is a difficult person doesn't see themselves as difficult. So 98.26534% of the time, they're not going to say, why, thank you. I had never looked at it that way. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I just needed confirmation All right. one way or another. So I will, uh, I will carry on. Julie says she's an upbeat, happy person. Her upbeatness and happiness is independent of that person, that supervisor. The supervisor can say whatever they want, whatever she wants, because she can't stop her. She can be downers. She can be complaining. She can be gossipy. How much can you do anything about it? basically have to decide I want to be happy and content and I will not put my positive outlook on life, my joy, into the hands of another person who by their presence and their words can take away, they can detract from my joy. Julie says, but I'm a transparent person, but I, but I have to say things. Well, if you do, in the name of transparency, my guess would be you're going to add a complication to this relationship. Up to this point, the most you've had to do is try to ignore her in her negative view of life and her unhappiness and her misery in her own life. You've got to figure this is not a happy person. Sad. She's the one who suffers the most for it, not Julie. But if Julie says you get to me with your attitude and your way, I suspect not only will the person not change her way, but now she'll be even negative toward Julie. I think Julie is wise by just simply flowing with this person's negative view of everything. It's not going to change her. But Dr. Ray, come on. Sometimes people do listen. Not everybody just tunes you out. That's true. That is true. But it's related to how long it's been. Julie said that basically 20 years. That's, That's a stretch. Hey, thank you for joining me here on The Doctor Is In on this Look Back Friday and my cohort, my companion, and my producer, man, Andrew Kruchek. Walk with God. You'll have a lot of joy in that walk. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook.
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.